0: In Luke chapter 18, Jesus talks about prayer. Verse 1 says, He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. How much do you pray? Frequently? Infrequently? Not much at all? What does God mean when He says we are supposed to ask Him things? Let's talk about prayer on this episode of Craving Answers, Craving God. I'm Chuck Rathert with Aaron Miller, pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Aaron, this is a broad topic. There are people listening to us now who are all over the board on the meaning and practice of prayer. So we know we're supposed to pray. What then is the purpose of that prayer?
1: Main purpose of prayer is relationship. God wants a relationship with us. He wants children. Uh, We a lot of times think about prayer as, Um, asking God to do things for us, which that certainly includes. But he saved us for a relationship. He didn't save us to do things for us. He saved us for a relationship. So prayer fundamentally is just talking to God.
0: Okay, let's see if I can understand this. When we talk about relationships, typically I think about the relationships that I have with family, friends, fellow church members, things like that. And I think we all... Need relationships. God doesn't really need relationships, does He? Before He created us, before He created the world, He didn't have us. He didn't create us because He needed to, because He wanted to. So, what kind of a relationship is He looking for with me?
1: Yeah, so need is probably the wrong word. He has eternally had a relationship. Father, Son, and Spirit have had each other. They choose to create us because they want relationship, and it's the same same reason why you know people have kids. A couple gets married; they're in love with each other. Uh, they make a baby, and it's not that they need a you know you don't make kids because you're bored or because well I just really need a relationship. You should have that already with your spouse and with other friends. You do it because that's what love does. Love overflows, and longs to pull in other people into that relationship. And so God creates people in his image uh, because he wants uh, children. He wants people with whom he can share this eternal love that he, that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have for each other.
0: In all the relationships we have in this life, I say all, pretty much all, I think, we can see, we can experience the other person in the relationship. Uh, The way we communicate with them is the way they communicate with us. It's not like that with God. Uh, I I can't send him an email. I can't uh, send him a letter and expect a letter in return. I may do a lot of praying, a a lot of talking, and never get an answer or even what I think is a response. So that's kind of a different relationship, isn't it?
1: It's different as far as, you know, the mechanics of it go. I, I can see you sitting there across from me. I get emails from you. I, I I don't get emails from God. You're right. But that doesn't mean that there's not real communication going on. And in some ways, uh, even more intimate than sitting here talking to you or getting an email from you. When I pray to God, so, so when I'm sitting here talking to you, you're... I'm saying things that are in my brain out loud, and the sound waves are traveling through the air and going into your eardrums, and then you're processing them. But there's a gap there. I'm not. You're not understanding everything that's in my mind right now um, just because I'm saying a few words. And there's also, honestly, the high risk of uh, misinterpretation, that somehow those words that are passing in the air between us are going to get misconstrued, and not even like that you aren't going to understand what I'm saying, but you're not going to understand completely what I'm saying. That's not the case with God. When we pray to God, he's actually in our minds. He knows exactly. He knows what's going on in our minds even more than we do. When we, um, when we read his word, we're getting close to his heart. The, the Bible insists that, that the spirit illuminates the word so that we understand, we begin to understand the heart of God, um, not perfectly, of course, But I don't have that when I'm talking to you. When you speak, I don't have like a Chuck Rathert spirit illuminating my mind to your words. We're kind of on our own here. But what the Bible says is that when we talk to God and when we read his word, that the Holy Spirit is connecting us in a way that, yes, we can't see him. We can't see God. We can't, you know, we can't go to our mailbox and open up a letter from him. But when we talk to him, when we read the Bible, we're communicating with him in ways that are, in, in many ways, even more real than normal human uh, relationship and conversation.
0: So I feel like I'm trying to make my way through a dark room here. If God already knows everything that's on my mind, if he knows what I'm about to say before I say it, or even a year before I said it, how does that communication work? whenever you and I, or we communicate with anybody else, it's always open-ended. We don't know how that communication is going to arrive. We don't know if it's going to make sense after we've said it, but he knows exactly what I'm about to say and exactly what I mean by it. So why am I taking all this trouble to try to say it when he already knows what it is?
1: Yeah, that's not why we do relationship. Um, I understand there's some open endedness to you know any human relationship. I don't really know what you're going to say, but but here's here's an example. So my you know, my kid is r- real little. This is uh, you know many years ago. My my children, my my child is small, and he wants me to read him this story over and over and over again, and he's entranced by the story. But but more than that, he he wants to sit on my lap. And we have reading time. He knows what I'm going to say. That's not the point, though. The point is the reading time. I, I, there's a good chance that my wife, when I go home for dinner tonight, is not going to say anything that I don't already know. She's going to tell me stuff that happened during her day, and I'm, I'm pretty certain what the things are. There might be a surprise in there, you know. Maybe the car had a flat tire. Or, you know, maybe she decided to start writing poetry or something. I don't know, something, I don't know. But, but generally speaking, I don't have a lot of, my wife and I don't have a lot of uh, earth-shattering uh, shock moments when we're talking to each other. That's not the point, though. I don't go to talk to my wife because I'm lo- trying to learn new things about her or figure out what she's going to say next. I talk to, her, I'm, I talk to my wife because talking to my wife, is the thing itself. That's what I want to do. The relationship is what I'm after. So God knows what, uh, yeah, God knows what we're going to pray for, certainly, but the point isn't um, this sort of, well, I need... He, he's not looking for data from us. He wants to talk to us. He wants a relationship with us. He wants to spend time with us.
0: In previous conversations here on our program, you have described many people, particularly young people, who are increasingly lost in boredom and hopelessness. I think you described that one time as an epidemic.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: For a Christian experiencing this discouragement, do you think that that typically leads to more prayer or less?
1: Um, well, it depends, right? I, so isolation can lead to, iso- to more isolation. This is... Um, Hopelessness can lead to more isolation as as well. In fact, like just b- being hopeless, I, if I don't have any hope, I'm not going to go. H- hopelessness, by definition, means that I don't I don't see any sign of any improvement. I don't see things getting better. Uh, that's for a Christian. That's that 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 would be f- fairly faithless to think. Okay, there is a God there is a God who loves me, but he can't do anything for me. That would be a Christian experiencing hopelessness. Um, Prayer is by definition hopeful to go to somebody and say, I can't fix whatever I'm trying to fix, or I'm lonely and I don't have anybody in my life. Can I talk to you, God? That's by definition hopeful. I I would hope that Somebody who is hopeless and living in despair would turn to God as as an act of hopefulness, as an act of breaking out of their isolation. But I I do know in my own experience when I've struggled with prayer, it's been sometimes the opposite. Uh, My isolation has fed upon itself. I've turned in on myself and begun experiencing self-pity, hopelessness and not turn to God. When I'm reminded, though, that there is hope, that there is someone else, that there's someone transcendent and bigger than me who wants to talk to me, that pulls me out of myself. But but I, I, I will admit that I struggle sometimes with not believing that.
0: Can I make a movie reference here for my favorite movie? You can do whatever you want. It's A Wonderful Life. Um, for people who are familiar with the plot of that movie, The uh, chief character, George Bailey, gets into some trouble, and it looks like he's going to be arrested. It looks like he's going to be humiliated. He winds up in a bar, and uh, he's pretty much at his wits end, doesn't know what to do next. Mm -hmm. And with tears running down his face, he says something like, God, I'm not a praying man, but if you can hear me, help me, Lord, something like that. Yeah, yeah. The prayer of desperation. You think God hears those prayers and answers that kind of prayer? When maybe you should have gone to Him a long time ago, but you waited to the last minute.
1: Well, sure, He does. You saw the movie, right? <laughs> you saw. You saw. How it turns out, yeah. God, God answers prayer. God, God answers any prayer. Any time you call out to Him. He's hearing it, and he answers prayer, and it doesn't always look... I mean, in the movie, you know, it turns out that his friends bail him out, and his wife and kids love him, and the town's on his side, and all that sort of thing. But it it might not work out exactly like that in real life. Uh, But certainly, when anybody turns to God and asks for help, he listens and hears that. And and he doesn't... So that's the way I would act, right? Like, you know, if, if somebody... It, it, again, I keep pulling my kid into this. You know, if I if I say to my kid throughout the school year, "Hey, if you need help, if you need help with algebra two, like just let me know," and he's like, no, "No, no, I'm fine, I'm fine." And then there's three weeks left in the fourth quarter, and he says, "Can you help me? I'm in a jam." I would say, "I've been telling you all year long to ask for help," and now what are we going to do? It's too late. But that's because how I respond. I'm i I'm a I'm a told you so. Uh, kind of guy, right? Uh, God is not like that. God delights in relationship, and as often as we think, and it's a lie from the enemy that, well, don't go talk to God. You know, you he, 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 you know, you really should have been paying attention to Him before, or you know, you've already asked Him three or four times to help you with that sin, and uh, you keep on struggling with it. Why don't you get yourself straightened up first and go go talk to Him? Well, that's thinking of God like a human. He's not like that. He wants a relationship with us so much. And however it gets there, he's going to take delight in it. There's much rejoicing in heaven when a sinner repents.
0: I guess there are people that we would say are pretty good at praying, and then there are people who are not so good at praying. What do you think separates the good prayers—not prayers, but prayers—
1: from the bad ones. Yeah. Uh, the people who do it versus the people who don't, <laughs> you know? So, like, I've got uh, I've got good friends and I've got acquaintances. And the good friends are the ones I talk to a lot and the acquaintances are the ones I don't talk to very much. And it doesn't have anything to do with, like, how fascinating our conversations are or, you know, how smart that person is or how, what kind of deep... Or even, like, what they know about me. There are people who know more about me... Um, you know, uh, there are people who I grew up with. Uh, you know, I lived with basically for whatever kindergarten to senior year of high school, went to school with, played basketball with, hung out with, went on double dates with, who know a lot about me. And there are a lot, people who've met me just recently who don't know as much about me as those people I grew up with. But I don't talk to the people I grew up with very much anymore. I don't have hardly any friends, personal note, hardly any friends from my childhood that I still keep in regular contact with. It has nothing to do with how much you know about somebody. It has nothing to do with the wit of your conversation. It's just, are you talking to the person? And the good prayers aren't the ones who have eloquent things to say. The good prayers aren't even the ones who know uh, vast amounts of deep theology. The good prayers are the people who just talk to God regularly.
0: In the Gospels, we have examples of Jesus praying. Can the prayers of the sinless man Jesus be rightly compared to the sinful prayers of all the rest of us? He can't be our example, can he? We're not sinless people. So what do we take from his praying?
1: Well, uh, so yeah, it's got to be different, right? I, the, the His intimacy with his father is not my connection with God because of sin, because of brokenness, because even aside of all that, which is maybe the most important thing, I've only been alive for a few decades, Jesus Christ has this eternal relationship with his Father. So yeah, there's going to be differences. There's going to be uh, vast differences. But there's also, you know, Jesus prays in John 17, Father, make them one as you and I are one. You know, Jesus's hope is that the relationship that he has with his Father, that, that we are being pulled up into that. This is, you know, this is why Jesus came to earth, is that so that you and I... Could have so we could be participants in the eternal relationship with the Trinity, which implies that while my prayers will never be as pure, and will never have the ease of access that Jesus's prayers do, that I, as God's son in Jesus Christ, can use Jesus's prayers as an example, if, if for nothing else than just doing it. Jesus talks to his Father. He's united me to himself in his death and resurrection. That makes me God the Father's son as well. Well, I should be talking to my father just like Jesus does too.
0: In Romans 8, Paul says, We do not know what to pray for as we ought. If we don't know what to pray for, what is the point in even trying?
1: Yeah, part, part of that verse there is he's not saying... Uh, of course, and I know you know this. He's not saying don't pray. He's saying pray, because even though we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, children of God have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit Himself is praying through us to the Father. So even when we do, with groanings that can't be uttered, so sometimes the things that we don't we don't even know what to pray for, they're not even able to be articulated. It's but the Holy Spirit inside of us is praying. Through us, which is one of the just the fantastic things about prayer is that Christians pray to God the Father. We can pray to Jesus in the Spirit as well, but typically we're praying, you know, Abba Father, Our Father who art in heaven, etc. We're praying in the name of Jesus, which is a confession that we can only go into God's throne room because we coming we're coming in united to Jesus. And like the verse you quoted in Romans eight, we're praying. Through the Spirit. It's the Spirit that's groaning inside of us. So, prayer is essentially an act of union with the Trinity. It's the Spirit inside of us praying through us in the name of Jesus to the Father. So, what pr- prayer may be more than any other thing that we can do, yanks us up into the heart of the Trinity. So that Father, Son, and Spirit in prayer were enjoying this incredible fellowship with. And so, again, that, that, that text emphasizes that prayer is less a matter of content, although that's important. Uh, you know, we have things we want to pray for, we have thoughts, we have words. But what's more important than that is the relationship.
0: You just referenced the Lord's Prayer. And if I remember correctly, we got the Lord's Prayer because the apostles asked him teach us to pray mm, yeah now i'm under the impression that while the none of the 12 were professional clergymen they were pretty much men of the street um they were jewish people who knew what it meant right, to pray yeah. and knew what the old testament prayers were and mm-hmm. understood all of that why would they ask jesus to teach them to pray, isn't that something they already knew how to do?
1: Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, they knew how to do it, but they didn't ask him teach us how to pray. They said, teach us to pray. So the, their question is not like, you know, their, their question is not like, how do I, I mean, you, like you said, they've got the Psalms, how to pray. They've got a whole book of the Bible d- devoted to, you know, individual and corporate worship, that, that's the easy part. What they're asking for is, get, you know, teach us to pray.
0: So does that mean that in the coming age, the church age, which will be inaugurated after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, that the business of prayer changes from the way it would have been practiced or done before Jesus' death and resurrection?
1: No, I don't think so. I, I, I don't think so. I think that the disciples... Like we, like the disciples, struggle with motivation to pray. I think that's what they're asking for. We want to pray. Teach us to do it. Like give us the motivation. And the motivation is is that we have a Holy Father who's called us his children, whose kingdom is coming on earth just as it is in heaven, who's promised to provide our daily bread, who's promised to forgive our sins. And th- this is the motivation. What what God, And the Lord's Prayer is not offering up. It is fantastic to use it as a template for our prayers, as long as we understand that it functions less as a template. We don't need that. We have the Psalms. It functions less as a template and more of motivation to remember who we are as children of our Father, who is the King of the universe now and is ruling and reigning over all things, which includes forgiveness of sin and taking care provisionally of his creation.
0: Let's take an example of prayer from the Old Testament. Genesis 25, verse 21 says, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So what's the secret to getting your prayers answered in the affirmative like Isaac?
1: Getting your prayers answered in the affirmative. Uh, so the secret sauce is, A, you just pray him. Just pray to God. Ask for your request. And he says yes. Jesus is real clear that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Whatever we pray to God, we'll get. You want a child, you pray to God, he answers that prayer. And so, I mean, the follow-up question, of course, is like, what about the people who've wanted children and have prayed for it, and unlike Isaac, is that who our example is? Unlike Isaac, have not had that prayer answered. And um, the biblical answer is is that they have had that prayer answered, not in the negative, but in the affirmative. So, everything that we ask for, there's a surface level to it. You know, there's the content. I want a child. Um, I want to raise. I want to know you better, God. There's a there's a surface content, and then there's a deeper desire underneath it. That that there's a deeper craving that out of which that flows. So you know why do people pray for kids? I, and I can speak to this because Angela and I tried to have children for a long time before a Harry was born, and so I know about um, you know gut wrenching crying out to God. You know, give us a child. Um, What's the deeper desire behind that? Well, it's the desire for, uh, it's it's the desire to have somebody upon whom to pour out your love. Like we said a few minutes ago, this is why God created Adam and Eve. This is why married couples have children. Is this desire to pour out your love on somebody? It's a desire for legacy. It's a desire for. um, uh, Sometimes it's a desire for social conformity. You look around and. Your friends that are your age are getting married and having kids and you don't have one. And so, you know, God, you know, give me a spouse, give me a child. Those are the deeper desires that God promises he will fulfill. The desire for companionship, the desire for love, the desire for, you know, you you say, God, I I need a raise at work. And what you're asking for is money. That's the surface thing. It's a totally appropriate thing to ask for, by the way. But so we should say this, uh, quick caveat, everything is appropriate. There's nothing that's off the table. You can pray for anything to God because he's your father. You can ask for anything. But when you ask for a raise at work, what you're asking for is, okay, yes, money, but there's something behind that that you're asking for. You're asking for security. Uh, You're asking for um, um, maybe you're asking uh, that God would help you keep up with the next-door neighbors or, or your friend who got a raise, and now you're kind of behind them, whatever that is. God promises that he answers those prayer requests in the affirmative. He doesn't always give us the surface content of our prayer because that's not what we need. You know, so when I when I pray for money, and what I really am praying for is security, God gives me the security. He promises that I will take care of you. Now, maybe that will involve money. Maybe it won't. Maybe it will involve some other way of me securing your life and giving you comfort and hope and and knowledge that I'm holding you in the palm of my hand. But he promises that he answers the deep prayer request. And so we so get frustrated sometimes because he doesn't answer the surface one. And really what our hearts are craving, that's what he goes for. That's what he gives us guaranteed. Anything you ask the Father in my name, I will give it to you. But I might not give it to you the way that you want to get it, but I will give it to you. I will say yes. You might not get a child. There are couples who pray for children and don't get them, but what they're craving from that child, they will find in God. He promises his children that he will give them that.
0: In Ephesians 6, that's the armor of God, put on the armor of God chapter. And after talking about the various articles of the armor of God, Paul mentions praying. He says that we should be praying at all times in the spirit. And my translation has capital s spirit here, the Holy Spirit. Yeah. what does that mean praying in the spirit
1: yeah there's a there's a lot of Paul talks about like like that a lot, not always praying, but you know you get the Galatians five walk in the spirit and what does it mean and you and you won't fulfill the loss what does it mean to walk in the spirit well i think um it means praying as a spirit person. The, the people who are Christians, those of you who are listening who believe in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, which means you're called to a life of prayer. So praying as a spirit-filled person. I think it can also mean praying for the Spirit. Jesus um, um, tells this parable in Luke chapter 11 where he's basically encouraging his followers to pray. This might actually be in response to teach us to pray as well. I can't remember. But... Um, Oh, yeah, it is in, in Luke 11. And the context is the Lord's Prayer. This is motivation to pray, which is what the Lord's Prayer is primarily is motivation to pray. And um, Jesus says, uh, you know, if, if your next door neighbor comes and says, Can you loan me three loaves of bread? And he comes in the middle of the night, you'll do it because you just want to get back to bed and go to sleep, you know? If, you, if your son comes to you and says, Can I have fish? You're not going to give him a snake. And you are bad parents, and you even give your children what they ask for. How much more will your father give? And he says, How much more will your father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for him? So he encourages us like praying in the spirit means praying for the spirit. Regular part of our prayer life as Christians should be like, God, fill me up with your spirit, focus me in ways that your spirit can focus me, help me to pray spirit prayers. Can also mean praying for the fruit of the spirit, right? When we're praying in the spirit, means praying for things the spirit wants us to have: love, joy, peace. It's great to pray for a raise. It's great to pray that God would give you a child if you want a child. But a huge content of our prayer life should be for the fruits of the spirit: uh, patience, meekness, these sorts of things that the spirit wants to give us. Praying under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You already mentioned that uh, text from Romans eight. You know, we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Holy Spirit. Uh, teach the Holy Spirit Himself prays with groanings which can't be uttered. Uh, you know James four says we ask and we don't receive because uh, we ask with bad motives to consume it on our own lusts. So praying Holy Spirit, praying for things that the Holy Spirit wants us to pray for. And then uh, my last example here for what it would mean to pray in the Spirit would be praying as a child of God. Romans eight, Paul tells us that it's the Spirit who confirms in our own hearts that we are the children of God. It's the Spirit who causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. And so pray in confidence. Praying in the Spirit means praying with the confidence that we, like Luther says in his question about what the, what the beginning of the Lord's Prayer means, is, is we can approach our Father as dear children to come to God with the confidence that kids have, that if I ask you for something, if I ask my Father to take care of me, He's going to take care of me. And praying in the Spirit means praying in that Abba, Father confidence.
0: In the the book of Hebrews, the writer of that book says in chapter 5, he has a description of Jesus. It sounds like this. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. So does that mean that if it feels like my prayers are not being heard very well, that I need to get more emotional, I need to get down on my knees, I need to shed tears, and maybe I need to wail a little bit more, rather than the more or less introverted, quiet praying that I usually do. I need to get with it?
1: No, I think that's a pretty pagan view of God, that somehow he's looking for us to do something first before he'll, you know, answer our prayers. So the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel, you know, and it's the pagans who are weeping and wailing and dancing around the altar, crying out to their gods, cutting themselves. You know, Elijah's prayer is just a simple, short one. God, make yourself known, glorify yourself, and it's answered. You know, uh, Jesus doesn't always pray pray with the, you know, loud weepings and um, cryings out that you described. At times he did. At times, uh, you know, what does that text say? That, um, uh, you know, he was praying to the one who could save him from death. Uh, you know, Jesus, what was at stake? At different times, you think about the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's praying and with the great uh, sweat drops of blood. What's at stake is the salvation of the entire universe, what it's going to cost is his own life. With that on the table, his emotional response is crying out and, you know, the, the, the loud prayers. That's what, that's, that, that emotional response is appropriate to it. Um, we don't always pray like that because at times the, the emotional response isn't, doesn't dictate that. Um, think about the person closest to you. Think about your best friend or think about your spouse there are times when you have conversations with them, and it's not emotional because the moment doesn't dictate it. There are times when you have conversations with your spouse or with your friends, and it's intensely emotional because the response dictates it. There's something on the table that, that spurs on great happiness or great sadness or great anger or whatever the emotion is. Our prayer life, if, if, if prayer is a relationship, it's going to work the same way. Sometimes your conversations with God will be light and casual, and maybe even a touch, uh, uh, you know, funny. Sometimes, though, they'll be deeply felt. Sometimes they'll be more intellectual. Sometimes they'll be more emotional, because that's the way relationships work.
0: So let's review. At the beginning of the program, I said, I asked the question, what does God mean when he says we are supposed to ask him things? Yeah. And I think the answer you gave to that was it all focuses on relationship, the relationship Mm -hmm. between God and me. So if there's somebody listening to us today who is saying, I'm a Christian, I go to church, I pray, maybe I should pray more, but I got to tell you, my relationship to God is sort of like a six-year-old whose grandfather lives 2,000 miles away. Mm -hmm. And, Mm. you know, we, we sort of, Touch base every once in a yeah, while, and yeah. that's it. How do you improve that relationship if you feel that way?
1: Right, that's a great analogy too. I like that about the distant grandfather because that's a lot of time how we we have a deistic view of God. You know that He's out there, not super involved. This is why we don't pray to Him. Um, every once in a while, though, you need something, and so you know you'll uh, send him a letter or something like that. Um, so, for, first of all, like just to realize that. To praying in the Spirit means praying as people who know that in Jesus Christ, we are God's daughters and sons. That should motivate us to pray, just knowing that there's a, someone who loves us that wants to spend time with us. Practically, though, here, here, this is the best advice I can give. Practically, though, if you're having trouble praying when my prayer life needs a kick in the butt when when i need when i'm when i'm starting to feel like i really don't know what to say or i don't really feel like doing it now the psalms is the best place to go to go to the psalms and to pray the psalms back to god is i mean it's god's it's it's god's prayer book in the bible that's a great way to kick start your prayer life if you're dry if you're so emotionally, um, you know, if there's something going on that's so powerful emotionally that you don't have the words to say, going to the Psalms and praying the Psalms in Jesus' name to God the Father through the Holy Spirit, is that's a great way to kickstart your prayer life.
0: Well, we, we covered a little bit of territory here. And when I started the program, I said it's a broad topic, and it is. And there are hours and hours of conversation that we could have that don't even have anything to do with what we talked about today. Mm -hmm. I thought maybe we could revisit this topic, but I don't know where until you said that. Do you think maybe we could come back and talk about the Old Testament book of Psalms as it relates to prayer life for New Testament Christians?
1: Yeah, that'd be perfect.
0: let's make a note. We'll try to do that. We say thank you for listening to Craving Answers, Craving God with Aaron Miller, pastor at St. James Lutheran Church. In Glen Carbon, Illinois, we encourage you to share your thoughts with us. You can enter your questions and comments on our website at stjamesglencarbon.org. Click Contact Us and leave your message there. I'm Chuck Rathard. Thanks for listening.